morning. It's good to see you today, and uh, I've missed you the last couple weeks. I appreciate Pastor Cox preaching, and I've heard good reports the last couple weeks. I was in India, and my flight was delayed, so I was not able to be here last Sunday, uh, but I appreciate the many prayers. A lot of folks had reached out and sent me emails and text messages and called since I've been home, and so I appreciate uh, all the prayers. I was jet-lagged. Uh, I've heard people talk about jet-lag, and I've flown, um, but I've not, never been jet-lagged like I was this week, and uh, I could not tell you what day it was. At times, I'd get up at midnight uh, and just be wide awake, laying there till about 4:30 in the morning, um, and uh, trying not to wake my wife up. So she was jet lagged along with me, even though she didn't go with me. Uh, I kept her up, and then last night they go and take another hour away. So I can't figure out what in the world's going on. So I think this is Sunday morning. Is that not right? Is this the 9.30 service Sunday morning? Good. We're in the right place then. All right. Acts chapter number 13, if you'll turn there with me. Acts chapter number 13. And we're going to be in uh, multiple scriptures today. And if you are not able to find all of these scriptures, that's all right. Well, I'll get there and I'll read the scriptures. If you're taking notes and you just want to write the reference down and go back and study it maybe some other time, that's fine. If you want to try to find these scriptures, uh, that's wonderful uh, as well to do that. But uh, uh, I want to um, look at Acts chapter 13 and verse number, uh, let's go to verse number 50. We're studying through the book of Acts on Sunday mornings, and we're uh, coming into now right in the, the heart of uh, Paul and Barnabas' missionary journeys. We've seen the church there in Jerusalem really just explode, and, and people are being saved, and, and uh, uh, the gospel is going forth all the world. And in Antioch, the gospel reaches Antioch and in other places in Asia Minor, and, and uh, uh, now the gospel is going to go to Europe. And, and Paul and Barnabas now are commissioned from the church, and they are on their first missionary journey, and they are. Uh, finding some resistance. In verse number 50 of Acts chapter 13, the Bible says, but the Jews stirred up devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. And look at their response, but they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. As I come to the end of this chapter, there's something there that just, it, it amazes me and, and it causes me to, to just wonder, how could, how could Paul and Barnabas and these disciples go through such persecution, such rejection? How, how many of you like when someone tells you no? None of us. How many of you like if someone doesn't like you? You know, if you just, if you just sense there's, there's tension between someone else, it, it bothers us as human beings. We, we want people to like us. We want people to hear our message. And, and here's Paul and Barnabas. They're, they're teaching and they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what they find? Some hear, some receive Christ, but there's a big persecution or stirring against them. So much to the place that they have to leave where they're at for fear of death or for fear of, of imprisonment. And the Bible says they, they shook off the dust of their feet against them or, or, or gives you the, the impression there that, that uh, they just said, we're moving on. You're not going to stop what God has put in our heart to do. 
but not, not with a bad attitude. And be careful. People that become contentious or get a bad attitude, be careful of that. Be careful of, of Christians when they get negative and critical. I'm just serving Jesus, praise God. You know, the rest of the world can... No, be careful of that. Because I find in verse number uh, 52, and the disciples were filled with joy. How many of you want to be filled with joy? I know I do. I, 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 I want to live for Christ in this world, even in difficult seasons, and have joy. And have joy. L- l- let's move on in verse, uh, verse number one of chapter 14. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogues of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. So there's, there's great multitude of people here uh, from Jews and Greeks that have believed. And when, when, when we see that word believed, that, that means they believed what they were preaching. What was Paul and Barnabas preaching? They were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that was the message that Paul and Barnabas was taking to this, to this world. They were taking to the Jews. They were telling the Jews that no longer are we under the law. Uh, uh, um, religion can't save you. The law can't save you. Jesus came and fulfilled the law. No longer are sacrifices needed to be made. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. He made the atonement for our sins. And uh, uh, so he preached that Jesus Christ is the Messiah to the Greeks. There's no longer religion that can save you. There's no other God that can save you. You know, they, they, were, they were worshiping other gods. They were worshiping uh, uh, just, just all kinds of things. And, and so Paul and Barnabas is saying to them, there's no other God. There's, there's no other name under heaven whereby you, you must be saved. That name is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that many believed. But the unbelieving Jews, in verse number two, stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. What happens? Persecution again. How much could, how much persecution, how much can one person take or one group of people take before they just say, you know what, forget it. If you don't want to hear this message, it's on you. What, what motivates the believer to continue? Long time before, in verse number uh, three, long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony to the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part held uh, part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rules, rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby. And look with me in verse number seven. And there they preached the gospel. No matter what was happening to Paul and Barnabas on these journeys, these missionary journeys, they continued to preach the gospel. They continued to stick with what God has called them to do. Now, I want you to think about this, and, and, and I know for me this, was, this thought is fresh on my mind uh, uh, just uh, a couple weeks ago. 
I uh, uh, left the Detroit airport and flew into to JFK and then from there took a, a long flight over the uh, Atlantic Ocean and over Africa and, and landed uh, about 15 hours or so later in Mumbai, India. Totally different world. I mean, I got off the airplane and the smell of curry could just hit you. I guess it was curry, I don't know. Um, but there was something. It just kind of got stuck. It was just up until a couple days ago, I finally got it out of my nose hairs, you know, whatever that, that was. I knew as soon as we began to, to get into to vehicles and begin to, then we had to take another flight that was about two hours into South India. I knew I was not in America anymore. And I won't even begin to tell you all of the things that I saw. Some of it was interesting. Some of it I wouldn't even describe but there was something that was very interesting. Everywhere I went in India, there were, there were um, uh, Hindu temples set up everywhere. Matter of fact, they worship, I, I didn't even know this, they worship Donald Trump over there. There was a statue of him and they wouldn't go and they, they would go pray to, to our president over there. And he followed me, uh, I went and he followed me over there. I can't get away from that guy. Um, he, uh, they, they'll worship anything. Over 300 million gods they worship. I had never, never spoken to a Hindu uh, uh, believer before, and I, I, I first time in India. And so I did get a letter from the, the, from the government that wanted to know if I was going to be a, uh, evangelizing or promoting Christianity uh, there. And, and um, the prime minister there won the, his reelection. And one of the platforms that he was running on was to try to eliminate uh, the Muslims and Christianity from India. India, 1.38 billion people. If you took and added about 50 million people to our population and then another billion people. That's how many people are in India. I mean, it, it's just people everywhere. And so I got in an airplane from Mumbai to, to uh, the city south where we were going to and, and uh, sat next to a, a man and, and uh, he was on that middle seat and, and uh, uh, we just began to talk and I asked him, uh, yeah, the nation is 80% Hindu, 17% Muslim and 3% Christianity and anything else. And so I sat next to him and I said, to, I just struck up a conversation with him. I knew we had a two hour flight. And, and uh, so I said to him, uh, ask him his name and, and uh, uh, introduce myself and, and got into, I said, so are you, are you Hindu? And he says, yes. And uh, so we then just began to talk. And I said, tell me, tell me about what you believe. And I, I just simply listened to him for about 45 minutes to an hour, the first half of that flight, as he began to tell me about what he believed. His, his religion and not eating certain things and, and believing. And he said in his home, he has, like most, most Indians would, would, there's a room where they place their gods. And he began to name. I said, well, what gods do you, do you pray to? And he began to name all of these gods that he prays to. This one for wealth and this one for prosperity and this one to watch his home and this one for this. And I mean, just, they've got a God for everything. And I said to him this, after he was finished, I said, man, I'd like to tell you about my God. I only have one. 
And I said, I can go to him for anything. And, and we talked about Jesus Christ and the atonement he made for our sin and, and that uh, Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He was telling me about if you live your life and you're not good, you could come back as a dog or a, or, a, or a snake, or if you do really, really good, you can come back as something else, but the whole purpose is that you tr- try to live a life wherever you come back that you eventually will become a God if you do really good. And I said to him, you know what, I'm promised that there's going to be a, 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 a resurrection of those that believe in Jesus Christ, and we're all going to be given new bodies, and we're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. And I just started telling him what, what uh, the Bible tells us about end times, and, and uh, he sat there and, and just listened. He said this, he said, I've never talked to a Christian about Jesus before. He knew about Jesus. Matter of fact, what they'll do is they'll take Jesus and they'll make Jesus one of, their, one of their gods because they don't want to offend any god. We were in the market and, and we saw, uh, I mean, all of these stores, every, from the airports to the marketplace, everywhere you go, there are places that you can buy gods. And right there, there's a picture of Jesus or a picture of Mary. Or, uh, they, they don't want to offend anybody, but what they don't, be, they don't believe that there's just one true God, one God and only one God. They don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. And so I shared just the gospel as we sat there with this man. And uh, as I left, I forgot to, I was wondering as we were leaving the airplane, I thought to myself, I wonder if this guy works for the government. You know, am I going to be in trouble for witnessing? Because as I was leaving the airplane, he's following me. So I, I, tried, to, I tried to shake him a little bit. I, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this way. And, and uh, uh, he went that way. And I said, well, I'll just go over this way. And I said, he won't follow me into the restroom. Guess what? He followed me right into the restroom. I thought, I am in trouble. I'm going to jail. Followed me over to where we had to get our baggage. And he said, can we keep in touch? He says, I want to know more about what you've told me about. I said, sure. He gave me his email address and asked if we would continue to communicate and continue to tell him about the conversation that we had. And I thought to myself, how many people out of 1.38 billion people, 80% of them are Hindu. That means this, they believe in over 300 million gods. 17% are Muslim. That means this, they believe in Allah. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. It's 97% of a nation that has 1.38 billion people that do not believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by him. That's 97% of 1.38 billion people that are trying to achieve eternal life some other way in Christ. Now I must tell you that is for a Christian, it's heart-wrenching. As I then was in that country for several days, all I began to think about is just these people that were steeped in religion, but without hope. We did not plan this right next to the campus that we were staying on. I mean, right outside the gate, there was another gate that we just were able to walk to. And it was a school of 500 students, big building, three-story building. They said it's a 
Hindu school. There's 500 students that are uh, uh, Hindu there. Their parents are all Hindu, send them to the school. Well, the administrator of that school uh, trusted Christ as a savior because of the ministry that we were working with there. He had started attending that church and he trusted Christ as a savior. When he heard there was seven preachers from America in town, he came over to us and he says, can you come over and meet our students? And we said, we'd love to meet your students. And he says, I want you to introduce yourselves to the students. We said, we'd love to introduce ourselves to the students. And he says, I want you to tell them about Jesus. 500 Hindu students. So we walked out of our gate and walked through their gate and they lined all of these students up. I've got some pictures I want to show you uh, about this. And, and they lined all these students up and, and gave us about 15 minutes. We introduced each of ourselves where we're from. And then we had the opportunity as we stood there in front of these students to tell them about Jesus Christ. 500 students whose parents don't believe in Jesus Christ, who they're not being taught that Jesus Christ is the son of God. We had the opportunity to tell them that there is a God that loves them, that loves them so much that he is sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem them or reconcile them back to him because he desires to dwell with them forever, for all of eternity. And those thoughts really, they, they affected me and have even since I've been home. And I, I want you to turn to the book of Luke. Would you go there with me? Luke chapter number three, Luke chapter number three. I give you that introduction to this message because I want you to just see here the things that the Lord has put on my heart. And over these last uh, uh, week of being home in the uh, nine days that I was there in India, I want you to just see when you, I wish I could take our entire church to the mission field. Now, I want you to know this, church. When I go to the mission field, I'm not going to elaborate places. We're, we're not going, and when we take missions trips, we're not going to take missions trips so that we can see the most beautiful parts of countries. When we, when we go, we're going into the places where people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I didn't get to see the Taj Mahal or any, any beautiful places like that. We, um, uh, our accommodations were not close to that. But when you see the people going through religious rituals, when you see the people in bondage to sin, and you see them with sincere hearts doing what they think or they hope will release them of that bondage of sin. And you know that the, no matter how good they do, their good is never going to be enough. No matter how religious they are, their religion is never going to get them to heaven. Their hope is Jesus Christ. It affects you. It changes your thoughts. It, it, it affects your heart. I want you to see in, in Luke chapter number three, the gospel of Luke in verse number two, we're speaking of a man by the name of John, the son of Zacharias. He's in the wilderness and it came in verse three, it came in to all the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for remission of sin. John the Baptist here is preaching that you must repent. 
He's not preaching to live the law. He's not preaching good works. He's not preaching give of money. He's not, he's not preaching try to live a good life. What he's preaching is this. You are a sinner and you must repent. That's, that's the message that John the Baptist is preaching. He's preaching, uh, uh, as is written in the book, uh, the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and crooked shall be made straight and rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The salvation of God is Jesus Christ, his son. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee? Look what, the, what this phrase is. Who hath warned you to flee the wrath to come? Who has warned you to flee this wrath? I want you to take note to that word wrath. Now, I, I understand in today's culture in America, Many, many aren't preaching on the wrath of God anymore. And you know, I've said this to you before. They even, it's not popular preaching. And, and, and it's, it's messages on love. And listen, God is love. The Bible says God is love. God says that he loved us. The whole message of salvation is that God loves you and he loves me and he loves all of mankind, that he doesn't want us to die. But if man refuses his son, Jesus Christ, there is a wrath that's going to come. And John the Baptist is preaching of that wrath. And in verse number 12 of this chapter, uh, the Bible says that the publicans uh, to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? They, they, the publicans came and said, tell us what we're supposed to do. We're hearing this message of repentance and we hear of this wrath to come. Tell us, tell us what to do. We want to hear. In uh, verse number 14, the soldiers likewise demanded of him saying, what shall we do? They, they want to hear. In verse number 19, even Herod, he had a response to, to what John the, the Baptist was preaching. Now, he didn't like what John was preaching when he started preaching against his sin. But, but you see in this chapter that John is preaching that there is wrath to come. There is judgment that's going to come. And there is a way to escape that judgment. And they're interested for, for 400 years leading up to this event, the 400 years has gone by and, and, and now a prophet appears preaching this message of repentance, the wrath to come. Go, go over just a few pages to the book of Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter number 23. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. Everybody with me? Is everybody awake today? How many of you are missing that one hour of sleep right now? All right. Matthew 23, look with me in verse number 29. Someone may say this, well, Jesus never spoke of that. Well, let me show you what Jesus said in chapter 23, verse number 29. This is Jesus speaking. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous and say, if we, had not, if we had been in those days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. What they're saying is, we know better. We would never, we would have listened to what the prophets have to say. Oh, we wouldn't have done the, the, the bad things. Our, our, our fathers didn't listen to the prophets, and, 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 but we aren't like them. Yet they don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. If they didn't want to hear what John the Baptist had to say, look what, go, let's go on. Jesus says, and he says if, uh, in verse number 31, wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Ye serpents. Look what he says. Ye serpents. Ye generation of vipers. He's not even speaking of the parent. He's saying, ye serpents, you generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Jesus is speaking. That, that's strong preaching. Is there wrath to come? Do, do we believe that as Bible-believing Christians? Do we believe that there is a wrath to come? And, and the truth is it's difficult to think about. And I, I'll tell you why it's difficult to think about. Uh, e even this past week when I was in India and met this fella on this, or two weeks ago when I met this fella on that airplane, I tell you, you begin to spend in, in just a short amount of two-hour time with him. You know, you begin to, to enjoy this person and talk with this person and like this person. And the last thing I want to think about is, is, is damnation coming to someone that, that I like. And, and then I'm faced with a question. Do I believe that damnation is going to come or the wrath of God is going to come? Do we, do we truly believe that? And if I do believe that, then I have to do something with that. How do you look out? I, I drove much of when we were driving, it was evening or I was, it looked evening because my eyes were closed. Um, but when we were driving back to the airport there in southern India, we just, we, we left our place about five o'clock to head to the airport. And it was about a 45-minute drive. And um, people everywhere. I, I mean, wall-to-wall -wall people. Uh, who's ever been to India? Anybody ever been to India? And they drive with their horn. Hong Kong, Hong. Matter of fact, I was in the front seat, and they drove on the wrong side of the road. Um, and so I'm on the I'm I'm on the right side of the vehicle where the steering wheel should be, and and they drive really they drive on both sides of the road, um, and and sidewalk even, um, and and they just they just honk their whole way through Hong Kong, Hong. And 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 uh, this truck was coming, and he wasn't honking, so I reached over, I honked for him. I said, "Get the horn, let them know we're coming." And and I'm I'm doing this, and and. I got no brakes and no, no steering wheel, but I'm doing all the motions as, as, whoa. And I mean, it was craziness. People everywhere. I mean, everywhere. I can't count how many temples, Hindu temples. I, I couldn't even begin to count in that 45-minute drive how many Hindu temples I saw. And it's just, in my mind, it's, it's kind of seared in my mind these just thousands and thousands and thousands of people that I saw in a short amount of time. 
If they don't trust Christ as their savior, there's a wrath that's going to come on this earth. There's a wrath. And so what keeps the disciples, what keeps Paul and Barnabas motivated? What what keeps them motivated when they go to one city in Acts chapter 13 and they, they reject them? What keeps them motivated? Why would they go to another city only to potentially face rejection there? What keeps a Christian motivated when their family doesn't want to listen to the story or coworkers don't want to listen to the story or neighbors don't want to listen to the story of Jesus Christ? What keeps a Christian motivated? What keeps you motivated and I'm motivated? And I'll tell you what will keep us motivated, the fact that there's a wrath to come. And the Bible says this. When someone rejects the Messiah, when someone rejects the the gospel message of Jesus Christ, all that is left for them is the wrath that's going to come. And we as Christians, it's got to do something inside of us. I think of the story of Jonah. If you are able to turn there just a, a few pages over into the into the Old Testament, the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah is really the story of the Bible. If you, if you think about it, just a short book of Jonah. And in Jonah, it, it talks about really the story of the whole Bible, that, that God loves mankind and he sends a, a prophet to go share, to repent of their sins and turn from their sins and turn back to God. And, and, and the prophet goes and, and preaches the, the message of deliverance, the message of repentance. And in and, and, and this wonderful book, of, of Jonah captures the, the whole story of the, of the entire Bible. In Jonah chapter number three, look with me in verse number four. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What was he preaching? That there's wrath that's going to come. He said, just in a short time, in 40 days, you, you, you must repent. And, and look what happened. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. And, and the, the king even hears, and in this entire city, they, they, someone preaches the truth so that they could hear the truth and repent. And this entire nation of Nineveh, the city, it turns from their wicked ways. And the Bible says they believe God. Jonah preached on wrath. Jonah preached on judgment. Jonah took a message and said that the life that you're living, you can't continue to live in this sin. You can't continue to live in this, this, this lack of obedience to God. You've got to turn to God. You've got to repent of your sin and, and get right with God. There's a judgment that's going to come. In 40 days, this city is going to be overthrown. So little preaching about judgment and wrath today. So little preaching about it. But church, do we believe that there's wrath to come? Go with me to 2 Peter. Would you go there? Again, I know I'm all over, and normally I don't like to to be all over like this in a Sunday morning service, but my heart is just burdened in this message. 2 Peter, this is Peter, the apostle Peter writes this. He says in verse number uh, six of Second Peter chapter number three, he says, whereby the world that, that, that then was 
being overflowed with water perished. He talks about a world that was, and that, that was before the flood, and, and the world was punished. Why, why was the world punished? And I wish I could go into a, an even deeper study with you, but if we were to go back and look at the, the, the world at the time of, of Noah, uh, we found that the world was just in, in total destruction. The, the world was in total sin, and, and the Bible even says that repented God that he even made man, and, and a judgment was going to come, and, and Noah, for all of those years, was uh, building the ark, and what was he doing? He was a, a preaching the message of repentance, repent, and, and, and get on this ark and let God save you. It's the message of the Bible. There, there's only one way, and there was only one, one uh, door onto that ark, and, and no, other, no other way to salvation through that one door, and Jesus is that door. He is the way, uh, the truth, and the life. There's only one way to salvation, or one way to, to not be able to endure that wrath that the Bible Bible speaks of, and that's, that's only through Jesus Christ. It's only through him. And Peter says there was this world that was. Then verse number seven, he says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, there's a world that's now by the same word are kept in store. And, and it's only by God. Why, why don't we see uh, God's wrath upon us now? It's only because of God's grace. It's only because the Bible says that he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God desires for mankind to repent and turn to him. That's his hope and that's his goal. That's his desire. You say, how could a loving God pour his wrath out upon a world? Or how could a loving God send someone to hell for eternity? And, and I, I say to you, you're looking at it so wrong. Instead of looking at how could a loving God do that, look at a loving God says, you don't have to go there. It's not God that does it. It's your sin that will separate you from God for all of eternity. But God, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. God loved the world so much that he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins. God loved the world so much that Jesus came and became the atonement for our sin. And there's only one awful destiny. Look, look with me. Let's keep reading. The Bible says, by the same word are kept in store. Look what Peter says, reserved under the fire against the day of judgment in perdition of ungodly men. He said, there's a world that was, and God already judged it. There's a world now, and the only reason why he's not judging it is because his word's keeping it. But there's coming a day, there's coming a judgment, a fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. He says, but there is coming a day, there's coming a judgment. The wrath of God will be poured out on an unbelieving world. John, John the Baptist that we read about in Luke, John wasn't just making an expression when he says the wrath of God. He, he's not saying like, like that parent, you know, you know, when you're driving, don't make me pull the car over. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to do it. Don't make me pull the car over. Sooner or later, the kid's like, we know you're not going to pull the car over. And if you do and get out, we're going to get in and drive away. I'm going to leave you that. You know, you're not in charge. That's not what John, he's, he's not making this expression. This isn't a scare tactic that he's trying to get them to, to well, maybe they'll follow me. And so I'm going to make the story worse than what reality is. That's not what John is doing. John is, is saying, 
There's a Savior, there's a Messiah that has come, and you must repent and turn to him. And if you don't, there's a day that Peter writes of, that Jonah preached of, that Jesus spoke of, that the Bible tells us of. There's a day of judgment, a day of perdition of ungodly men. Those that are unbelieving at one time is going to, uh, in, in the past, uh, the, the, the flood came, and, and in the present, right now, the, the gospel is being preached, and and, and and every man is invited to, to receive, but, but there's a day coming, and don't mistake this. It's not just, it's not just a, 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 an idle warning. It's not just something make-believe. It's, it's a true event that, that God is going to pour out his wrath upon those that have never trusted in his son. Look, look with me in the, the gospel of John. The gospel of John. In verse number three. The gospel of John, verse number three. In verse number 36, see, this is the good news of the gospel. And it doesn't matter if you are in India. It doesn't matter if you're in the United States. It doesn't matter if you're in Africa. It doesn't matter if you're in South America, North America. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the language that you speak. It doesn't matter what your parents have done. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how bad of a sinner you have been. The Bible says this, he that believeth on the Son, in verse number 36, John 3, 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. But what's the Bible say, the last part of that verse? But the wrath of God abideth on him. We see that word wrath again. He said, if you believe on the Son of God, you've got everlasting life. Doesn't say you might. It says you have. It's yours. How do I get everlasting life? How do I know all religion talks about what the afterlife is going to be and, 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 and there's a hope? And I, as I sat next to that man on that airplane, he was living his life. He's a good man. He's trying to do good things. And he's kind to this, this, this big guy sitting next to him that's taking half of his seat up. You know, he's, he's kind to me and, and he's trying to live a good life, hoping that, that the gods will, will notice that and he can achieve that next level. And, and I said, but, but we, we, have a opportunity for everlasting life and it has nothing to do with how you live or, or what you do or, or your last name or, or, or what you've given or, or, or your religion or what church you belong to. No, it has everything to do with have you trusted Jesus Christ? Have you received him as your Savior? He came to this earth, lived a sinless life. He was placed on that cross. He shed his blood. His blood was perfect blood. His blood was sufficient blood. That blood was the atonement, the only thing necessary for our sin debt. Have you trusted Jesus Christ? Have you believed on Jesus Christ? Look with me in Revelation. Go all the way to the last book of the Bible. The book of Revelation. In Chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6. Look with me in verse number 12. This is John, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle. 
he is looking, the book of Revelation is about the future. God allows John to see into the future. And the book of Revelation tells us the, the uh, uh, future of events of mankind. And he speaks of this sixth seal being opened in verse number 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black, a sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her uh, untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Think about this judgment, this torment. Every mountain, every island, land masses are moved because of this earthquake. The sun became black and, and, and this great earthquake takes place. So much so that the kings of the earth and the great men in verse number 15 and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man, you know what he just said? Everybody. <laughs> he could have just said every man. You know what he said? If you're rich, the kings, the rich men, they can't escape from this. They, they, they're not getting away. Your money, your fame, your power, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your prestige. The wisest, the most powerful people on the earth can't escape this wrath. The bondman or the, 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 the one that's a slave, he's not going to escape this. They hid themselves in the dens and the rocks and the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. This judgment we read of this judgment that's coming. John the Baptist spoke of this judgment. Jesus spoke of this judgment. Peter spoke of this judgment. And then what is that judgment? It's not just a, a, something that's an imaginary thing. It's not just something, well, you know, religion preaches to try to scare you into something. No, 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 that's not true at all. It's reality. It is a fact. John sees into the future. That's the book of Revelation. He says, this great judgment, this wrath of the Lamb, this is going to be so great. Our earthquakes going to take place and it doesn't matter who you are you can't escape this and church this is what I want us to think this morning and I want you to understand this morning we're moments away from these things unfolding we're moments away I was flying back over the Atlantic We're flying from Paris to Detroit, and I sat in my seat, and I couldn't tell you. My body didn't know what time it was. I couldn't tell you what day it was. But I could tell you that I just continued to see the faces of these people. I continued to see the face of that man that sat next to me in that airplane. And it isn't, well, this is, you know, another thousand years out. No, the reality is this, that this can take place at any moment. I thought to myself, if the Lord Jesus Christ were to come back while I was flying over that airplane, uh, fly over the Atlantic, and that man that sat next to me never heard and never received Jesus Christ as his Savior, the wrath of God is going to come upon him. 
the Lord is going to return. The, the Antichrist is going to set up, and for three and a half years, boy, it's going to seem wonderful. Peace in Jerusalem, peace in Israel. The whole world's going to be at peace, but that last, the great tribulation, the, the judgment, that last three and a half years of the tribulation, you know, that all is going to begin when Jesus Christ comes and, and raptures his church or calls those, his bride uh, uh, takes all those Christians out of this world. At that moment, the tribulation is going to be co uh, come, and, and guess what's going to happen? The wrath of God is going to take place. John is warning of this event. Look with me in Revelation chapter 19, just a, a few more chapters go toward the end of Revelation. Chapter 19. In verse number 11. And I saw a heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true speaking of Jesus and, and in, in righteousness he doth judge and make war his eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no, no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name was called the word of God and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that when it should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepresses of the fierceness in wrath of Almighty God. Look with me in Second Thessalonians, and that's the last place I believe I'll have you turn today. 2 Thessalonians, if you would please, just back into the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul is writing to this church. John the Baptist warned of the wrath to come. Jesus warned of the damnation of hell. Peter warned that there's going to be a day. There's a day that was, there's a day that is, there's a day that's going to come. John saw into the future. He said, this is the wrath of God. He, he, he said, this is the wrath that's going to come. Paul is writing to this church, Thessalonica, and he writes this. He says, which is manifest token of the righteousness judgment of God, that ye might be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing, which God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power? Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord? In the glory of his power. You know what Paul's saying? There's a wrath to come. In church, if you and I know and believe this, if I were to ask you right now, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you believe the Bible is true? I would assume that probably majority, if not everyone in this room would say, I believe the Bible's true. John the Baptist spoke of the wrath to come. Jesus spoke of the wrath to come. John uh, spoke of the wrath to come. The apostle P Peter spoke of the wrath to come. Paul spoke of the wrath to come. If you and I know and believe that the wrath of God is going to come, there's got to be something wrong with us if we don't do everything that we can to tell people 
of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How in the world, as I'm reading through Acts chapter 13 and 14, how in the world does Paul and Barnabas keep going? Because they believe there's a wrath to come. No, 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 it wasn't them working their way to get out of that wrath. They've already been saved. They've trusted Jesus Christ. They cared about the generation that was alive in their generation. They believed that there was a wrath to come. They believed that God's judgment was going to be poured out upon all of those mankind that was living in their sin, all of the mankind that have not repented of their sin, all mankind that was trying to take care of their sin debt some other way. Listen to me, you don't have to take care of your sin debt. You can't take care of your sin debt any other way. God, he supplied the way. He is the way. He is the truth. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the only way. And I can stand here today and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the way. I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have repented of my sins. I have turned to Christ. I have accepted that free gift of salvation. I know for sure that my eternity is sealed because I believe the word of God. I know that I'm not going to face the judgment and the wrath of God because I have been born again. And that's wonderful. And I can say that, and I'm sure many in this room would agree the same thing. And that's wonderful, church. Praise God for that. But there are people that can't say that. They say this in India, and just by, I think it was 2032, they believe that their population is going to surpass the population of China. Billions and billions of people live in the 1040 window, they call it. India and China and Asia. Half the world's population lives in a place and they need to hear that Jesus Christ is the way. Why would those that have the truth not care to give the truth to a lost and dying world. If you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, listen to me, I'm not preaching a hate message today. I'm preaching that God loves you. He gave his son Jesus Christ so that you do not have to endure his wrath. But oh, mark it down, his wrath is coming. You cannot escape it unless you have trusted Jesus Christ. Father, help us. Lord, I believe in this 